For today's update, I need to talk very candidly with you about the powerful, prophetic, demonic deception in play today. I just got the thumbs up on the AC. So all of you who prayed, we still love you. Okay. Let me start over now. <laughs> this is actually very serious, because there is today in play this powerful, prophetic, demonic deception in this last hour before the rapture. This is going to be one of those updates that is really only for those who have ears to hear what the Spirit of Truth is saying. And please know, and the Lord knows my heart, that it is my sincere hope and prayer that at the conclusion of the update today, all of us are brought closer to Jesus. That's the whole point by virtue of the fact that the return of Jesus is closer. So we need to all get closer to Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you need to come to Jesus. Now is the time. Well, let's start in Genesis chapter 27. We have a most interesting account of how Jacob deceived his father Isaac. Perhaps you're familiar with it. At this time, Isaac is old and blind and near death, and is, as was the custom in that day, still is modern day. He wants to give his blessing to his son before he dies, but the son that he wants to give the blessing to is not Jacob, but Esau. And then Rebekah hears of this, and upon hearing of this, she gets a hold of her son Jacob, <laughs> makes venison like Esau, and prepares Jacob so he appears to be Esau. And then she instructs him to go in and deceive him for the blessing. We pick it up in verse 18, Genesis 27, and we're told, So he went to his father Isaac and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But, verse 20, Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? That's interesting. Already he's suspicious, and significantly he's suspicious of the timing, which tells me that Jacob or Isaac is still cognizant. He may, may not be able to see, but he's still able and very sharp and able to reason. And he asks him, how did you get back so quick? You just left. Now listen to Jacob's response. He says, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and interesting, he felt him. 
Now, why is that interesting? Because prior we read that Jacob was very concerned that if he did not have hairy arms like his brother Esau, he would not be able to deceive his father Isaac into thinking it was Esau. Now why is that so significant? Because Jacob's concern was not that he was deceiving his father. Jacob's concern was that he would be found out to be deceiving his father. That's very telling. This is a mass deception. So what does mom do? Mom gets hair, <laughs> that's too much information, puts it on his arms, knowing that dad is going to ask Jacob to come up, because he can't see, so he's got to feel. So he went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, listen to this, very important, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Hang on to that for a moment. And verse 23, he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, he still doubts, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near me now, still not sure, and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and smelled the smell of his clothing, and blessed him, and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Wow. Question. How is it that Isaac was so deceived? Answer. Very simply, he did not have ears to hear. The words he heard were like Jacob, but the feelings he felt, the smells he smelled, and the provisions he sampled were like Esau. In other words, Isaac went against the word he heard, Jacob's voice, and as such was deceived based on his preconceived bias and beliefs. We have another one. It's in Joshua chapter 9. And it's the account of Joshua being deceived by the Gibeonites. Like Rebekah hearing about Isaac blessing Esau, so too had the Gibeonites heard about the Israelites' victory in Jericho and Ai. So they come up with a crafty deception, a mass deception, because here's the thing, and they knew it, because they lived close in proximity to the Israelites, the Gibeonites were next on the menu, so to speak, and they knew it. And they also knew that the Israelites were commanded not to make a covenant with the Gibeonites. So how were they going to be spared from the hand of the Israelites? 
oh, I know, we'll come up with this deceptive plan. And we'll make it seem like we're not the Gibeonites close by, but rather we're from a land far, far away. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get bread and have it be moldy old bread. So it looks like you've been traveling for a while. And then we're going to get these wine skins, but they're going to be all torn up. And then we're going to get these bus up shoes from, you know, the closet that we still have. And we're going to put them on and make it look like we've walked a very long distance when they've just come from next door, so to speak. That was the deception. So we pick it up, Joshua chapter 9, verse 9. So they said to him, speaking of Joshua, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan who was at Ashraf. Therefore, verse 11, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. This bread of ours we took hot for our provision from our houses on the day we departed to come to you. But now look, it is dry and moldy. And these wineskins which we filled were new and see they are torn and these are our garments and our saddles have become old because of the very long journey. Then verse 14, oh how I wish verse 14 were not in the Bible, but it is. The men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. Well, you'll read later on in chapter 9 that he realizes that he was deceived. And even with Isaac, he realized only too late that he had been deceived. This was a mass deception in both cases. So again, we have a question. How is it that Joshua was so deceived? And the answer is the same as it was for Isaac. He made a decision based on preconceived bias and beliefs that were seemingly authenticated by what he saw, felt, and tasted, chiefly what he saw. However, they did not inquire of the Lord, asking for an answer from the Lord. Thus they did not have ears to hear the word of the Lord. Well, this propels us to the profoundly prophetic passage from the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the church in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to begin reading in verse 6 from the NASB 1995 version. The Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit is writing, 
And he says, and you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed, speaking of the Antichrist. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of His coming. That's the second coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord, listen, with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders that you see and experience. And, verse 10, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, verse 11, God will send upon them a deluding influence. Some of your translations render it a strong delusion or a powerful delusion so that they will believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged, who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Now, for those of you that are interested, we, uh, in our verse by verse study of Second Thessalonians, went in depth into this passage. It is a very powerful passage. That's not hyperbole when I say a powerful prophetic passage from the Apostle Paul. I know it has a lot of Ps, but it's true. <laughs> it's very powerful. Because in that chapter in particular, chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians 2, we see the rapture of the church prior to the revelation of the Antichrist. And then when the restrainer is out of the way and the church has been raptured, the Antichrist has an open checkbook. He has a blank check already signed. He can just fill in the amount of deception that he wants, because there's no restraint. The restrainer that has been restraining is now out of the way. And so are we, because we're the church, the salt and the light. And salt preserves and staves away the darkness, the light. So we're also part of that restraining. And until we're removed and the restrainer is taken out of the way, they can't do anything. But they're already starting. The lawlessness, the deception is already at work. And we're seeing it play out. And this comports with what Paul wrote to Timothy in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. At the time of the end, they will give heed to these deceiving spirits and these demonic doctrines. Okay, well, if you'll kindly allow me to, I want to expound on this aforementioned powerful prophetic demonic deception that sadly 
is now on a global scale. And in order to do that, we'll go ahead at this time and end the YouTube and Facebook live stream. So a couple weeks ago, I went to my calendar, as I typically do, and I start praying and preparing and just trying to stay ahead of what's ahead. And it hit me that today is September the 11th. And so I just went to the throne, petitioned the throne, sought the Lord, and pretty much got from the Lord this green light of sorts as to what He would have me to speak on this 21st anniversary of 9-11. May I just, and again, this is why I'm just asking the Lord to season my words with grace. And there are chilling prophetic parallels between 9-11 and COVID-19. And the common denominator is they are both a demonic deception. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm hoping that knowing the truth will have the much needed effect of bringing us closer to Jesus. I know it did for me. And certainly Jesus is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. What follows is a smattering of well-documented evidence and facts, facts, as it relates to being deceived under the banner of a preconceived bias and belief. While I realize what I'm about to say may be met with cognitive dissonance, I say it nonetheless. 9-11 was a controlled demolition. And the truth of the matter is that the Twin Towers were brought down by explosives. And even worse, there were not even any planes. I'll start with the website of Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Uh, we provided a link to this website. By the way, I want to mention, before I forget, that a lot of the links are going to be bit shoot links, which we're referencing them, but certainly not endorsing them. Now, at this website, you will find a plethora of evidence from 3,000 plus architects and engineers who factually prove that explosives were used in the controlled demolition of three World Trade Center buildings, the Twin Towers and the World Trade Center building number seven, which nobody really wants to talk about and for good reason. Pictured here is a screenshot of a live broadcast from BBC, in which the news anchor is reporting that building number seven has collapsed. 
And so he asks this reporter, can you tell us a little bit more about building number seven collapsing? There's only one problem. While she's talking, World Trade Center building number seven hasn't collapsed. It would be another 20 minutes after this live broadcast that they would, quote, pull it. It was a controlled demolition, citing the heat from the fire collapsing the building, which has never happened, never happened before, never happened since. Why has it never happened? Because it can't happen. Well, they, they must have brought, they got their timing wrong. Ha, Esau, how is it that you got here so fast? You're 20 minutes early. It hasn't collapsed yet. Here's more proof, and there is plenty, by the way. And I would encourage you, do what I did. Don't go to YouTube, go to BitChute, and just enter in the search, 9-11, no planes. You'll find hours and hours of video documenting factually that there were no planes. I'm going to share a little bit of that with you now. So here's a screenshot of airplane departure data from the Bureau of Transportation Statistics on 9-11-2001, proving that American Airlines 11 and American Airlines 77 never departed from their airports. United Airlines 93 was diverted to Cleveland and United Airlines 175 was also diverted. Also, a 9-11 commissioner admitted that a missile hit the Pentagon and what looked to witnesses like an upside down plane crashing at Shanksville was probably a drone. Moreover, a video aired on NBC and CBS both showed two very different planes hitting the South Tower. To the question of why did we see planes if there were no planes? Answer, there were only a limited number of live cams on that day, all of which used special effects in real time, similar to the movies, to make it look like there were planes. Pictured here is a screenshot from Peter Jennings of ABC, who says, and I quote, watch how the airplane penetrates the building completely in one side and out the other. Here's another reporter, Jim Ryan of WNYW, saying the same thing, quote, there it is, there it is. The plane went right through the other tower of the World Trade Center. Um, that's a problem. That's impossible. 
There's no way that a plane can remain intact and go through a building like that. The only way that that could happen is if the special effects live cam miscalculated, which is exactly what happened as pictured here. Look at the nose of the alleged plane going all the way through the tower intact. That's what we saw. That's what we saw. I want to show you a picture of what the nose of a real airplane looks like when just a bird hits it. So wait, I, listen, wait, 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 don't look at me like that. You know how you're looking at me like, wow, really? Yeah, really. This was all special effects. <laughs> the, the, you mean to tell me this steel construction, this, these towers were built, I mean, and the plane without even a mark on the nose, not even a little bit of a dent, made it all the way through the building? Come on. It should be noted that these videos were never shown again. And thanks to the few who recorded them, they can still be found online. And what you'll also find online is raw, unedited video from people that were on the streets. Now, I'm not talking about the plants that were there. I find it very interesting that the people they interviewed that were videotaping, they were all plants. And all of them had in their field, they were videographers and editors, and, and they, they're the ones they're interviewing. Now, I want to talk to Joe Schmo over here, who's going, and by the way, we have video of that. They say, no, there was no plane. There was just a big, loud explosion. I didn't see a plane. And completely scrubbed, never shown again. This uh, mishap with this live cam, where they, they ended up, they, they were trying to block the, the nose from coming out uh, from the uh, screen, and it, it drifted over, and that's why the nose shows up on the other side. And then it's really interesting, because they do a blackout. There's like a few frames where it's all black. It's kind of like, uh-oh. And they completely edited it, and deleted it, never to be shown again. Well, thankfully, there were other people there. And they, they were videotaping this as it happened. And there are videos of these buildings exploding with no planes, explosions, in the shape of an airplane, allegedly, uh, going into, which it would never do. It would never do. But interesting, uh, these raw, unedited videos show only blue sky, no planes, 
explosions from within the towers at the level the planes were edited in, and then the subsequent controlled demolition of three, not two, World Trade Center buildings. Now, for the prophetic parallels connecting 9-11 with COVID-19, one need look no further than just last Monday, September 5th, and this article published by Just the News about how, according to an author, Dick Cheney elevated Anthony Fauci to the top of the U.S. biodefense research apparatus post 9-11. Here are a couple of quotes. Fearing the development of bioweapons by U.S. enemies in the wake of 9-11, then Vice President Dick Cheney paved the way for Dr. Anthony Fauci's little-known rise in 2004 to the top of the nation's biodefense research apparatus, relates journalist Ashley Rinsberg in a new article at unheard.com. In the aftermath of 9-11, and even slightly before 9-11, when the Bush administration came to power, Dick Cheney was especially looking to create a biodefense strategy, Rinsberg said. And Cheney was very concerned about this, Rinsberg continued. Bush was more concerned on the natural outbreak pandemic front, but Cheney was really thinking about the potential of enemies of the United States weaponizing biology, weaponizing viruses. Oh, really? I'm going to say a word. You might remember this. Anthrax. Come on. Oh, it's starting to make sense now. I think I get it now. As a result of this, still quoting, Cheney and Bush funded a huge infrastructure with a vertically integrated power structure and placed Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, at its pinnacle. This is the kind of thing that people have really missed about Fauci, Rinsberg said. We've all come to think of him as a great public health expert, the top public health official in America. He is not that. He is definitely not that. He is, in fact, a biodefense national security official at the very top of that command structure. And this is something we all should have known about two, three years ago, not just today. Well, fast forward to today, from 2011 to 2022, 21 years later, and this post from Global Research titled, Pfizergate. Official government reports prove hundreds of thousands of people are dying every single week due to COVID-19 vaccination. In this very thorough and extensive publication, you'll find indisputable data from Pfizer, no less, 
that proves this so-called vaccine is being met with astounding success in reducing the world's population, which was the intended end decades before September 11th, 2001. Okay. Now, to answer the question concerning the prophetic significance of this, and more importantly, why does this matter? And maybe even more importantly, why are you doing this? Well, if 9-11 was a deception, which is irrefutable, that in fact it was, then it's not a far reach to realize that COVID-19 is a deception as well, especially given the fact that 9-11 was a catalyst of sorts to set up the powerful deception we know today as the COVID pandemic. The only difference between then and now is that the COVID injection is the final solution to quote Bill Gates, and this is how it ends. In other words, September 11th and the anthrax fears that followed were all part of the deception we know today as COVID-19. I think it was October 21st of, of 2001, George W. Bush Uh, demon-possessed, I believe. Certainly his father, George H.W. Bush, was demon-possessed. Uh, signed what was known as, and is known today, as the Patriot Act. And it, it just set everything up for everything that's happening today. This was all pre-planned and executed, for lack of a better word. And it is all satanic. And God in His Word, if we have ears to hear, has told us that this is what would happen at the time of the end. The number one sign of how close Jesus is to rapturing His church is, in a word, deception deception. And this is that deception. And people believe the lie, because they believe their eyes. They believe the lies, because they believe their eyes. I can't believe my eyes, we would say. Well, good, you shouldn't, because you're being deceived. Um, I appreciate your patience. There's one more question I think I'd be grossly remiss were I not to address, and it's that of, do I fear I will lose followers because of today's update? No, I don't, and for two reasons. First, it's not about losing followers, it's about following Jesus. I don't want people following me. 
we all need to be following Jesus. And secondly, uh, fearing the losing of followers is the fear of man. And the fear of man is a trap. And well nigh three years ago now, the Lord, by His grace, freed me from the fear of man. And He didn't just free me from the fear of man. And I, I say this, and the Lord knows my heart when I say this, I do not care what anyone thinks of me. I only care about what the Lord thinks about me, because I will answer to Him. Yeah. Thank you. It was actually the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. And I, I have this brother, dear friend of mine and brother in Christ, who really was patient with me. And because you have to understand, when it comes to 9-11, you want to talk about preconceived bias and beliefs. I mean, this is Islam. And you go back to some of those old videos, please don't. <laughs> that are on YouTube. And I mean, I'm up here. And my wife nicknamed me the pulpit pounding, passionate Palestinian pastor. That's where I get all the peace from. And I mean, I'm just, you know. And then the Lord just began to, and He's so gracious when He does, right? He's so patient and long-suffering. Oh my goodness, long-suffering. He has to be very long-suffering with me. But I began to realize that I had been deceived. This was a deception. And it was really hard for me. But God, <laughs> this is my but God testimony, I guess. But God in His grace, and I mean it's all grace. He just gently led me by the Holy Spirit into the truth. And I was set free and never looked back. And now I think about it like this, because I'm an Arab from the Middle East. Um, Islam is not the enemy. Islam, the Muslim, is the mission field. I hope that in no way you hear me coming off as not caring about all of the lives that were lost because of 9-11. I'm not at all. My heart breaks, and I literally weep. And I wept yesterday. I'm going to call them people, because that's what they are. Thousands of people here in the U.S half a million people in Iraq, Arab people. They're people that Jesus died for. So I was freed from the fear of man. And that's why it is, by the way, I'm just pouring my heart out to you. That's why it is that when COVID hit, I knew, I knew it was a lie. I knew it was a deception. 
because I knew at that time that 9-11 was a deception and that there were parallels prophetically between 9-11 and what was happening now. And I wasn't deceived. I wasn't deceived. I knew the truth. And I'll take it a step further, because when God freed me from the trap of the fear of man, He replaced it with the fear of the Lord. Let me explain what I mean by that. I fear the Lord, man. I fear the Lord. I fear the Lord and not speaking the truth. Because see, if I didn't do what I did today in speaking the truth to you, I'm going to give an account and I will have blood on my hands as the watchman in Ezekiel who didn't warn the people. Well, wait a minute, Pastor. So um, can you back up just a little bit and explain and expound a little bit more on why? Because the stakes are so high. That's why. Think about it. If you know the truth, doesn't that change everything? If you know this is a deception, does that not change everything? Now all of a sudden I'm looking at this thing going, wait a minute. If this is true, and it is, (laughs) then do you realize what the implications are? Yes, I do. That's why I'm doing this. If what you're saying is true, and please don't take my word for it. Use your God-given intellect. You be a Berean and search the Scriptures yourself and see if what I'm saying and teaching is true or not. But if what I'm telling you is true, and it is, then wouldn't it stand to reason that Jesus is at the door? If this is a deception, and it is, and this was pre-planned all of these years, and it was, and we have prophecy in the Bible that told us with great detail what it would be like at the time of the end, and it is like that, because it is the time of the end, then shouldn't that change everything? That's the whole point of this. I suppose in all fairness you could say that this is a come to Jesus update, because that's what it is. It's one of those come to Jesus moments, where you just go, wow, I was so deceived. I was so deceived by my preconceived beliefs and bias, and I believe the lie. I bought the lie. And now this is the truth, and Jesus is the truth. I need Jesus. Jesus is coming. This is the end. Because if, I'll flip it around just real quick, we're almost done. And again, I appreciate your patience, but I'll flip it around. Let's just say for purpose of discussion that what I just shared, it's not true. Well then, 
That's a, that changes everything in the opposite direction. Okay, relax. We talked about this on Thursday night. Here's Jeremiah the prophet. Repent, repent, repent to God's people. Turn. And all of these other prophets, and I mean Jeremiah is shaken by it. Chapter 23, Jeremiah, he just very openly says, I, I just, I couldn't wrap my mind around these other prophets. He was the only one, and he's telling them, repent. And these other prophets, presumably, arguably, possibly in the thousands, instead of saying repent, we're saying relax, peace. It shall not come upon you. Yeah, but Jeremiah's prophecy update, did you hear that prophecy update? He did. He's saying it's coming. Repent. And you're saying, relax. It's all good. It's not going to come upon you. And then God, through the prophet Jeremiah, says, oh, it will come swiftly and as violently as the whirlwind. It will come. These were false prophets. And their false prophecies were peace when there was no peace. And here's Jeremiah going, it's not good. I know they tell you everything is good. No, it's not good. And this is coming. And this is the end. Do you believe that? Do you believe this is it? Do you believe this is a deception? Well, again, the purpose of all of this is to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus. And that's why we do the updates and have for many years. It's why we end with the gospel and a childlike explanation of salvation by way of the ABCs of salvation. What's the gospel? First Corinthians chapter 15, the first four verses, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, the gospel. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And when he writes to the Thessalonians in his first epistle, he says, and he's coming back again one day, soon and very soon. That's the good news, the gospel. The word gospel means good news. Your debt has been paid. You're free to go. Somebody has took your place, paid your debt in full. Good news. You're free to go. Who paid my debt? Jesus. What was my debt? Oh, it was the death penalty. You mean he went to my death in my stead and died for me? Yeah, that is good news. Well, What's the bad news? <laughs> the bad news is, is that we're all sinners. We were all born sinners, which is why we must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this is the A, which is simply for admit or acknowledge that you are a sinner. 
Because unless and until you do, why would you be interested in the Savior if you're not a sinner? Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now Romans 6.23 packages the bad news first with the good news. The bad news is there's a penalty. The wages of sin is death, the death penalty. Bad news, good news, but the gift, gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's a gift? A gift is a gift. <laughs> Deeply profound, right? He, someone purchased that gift for you instead of you. Jesus purchased the gift of eternal life and paid for it in full on the cross for us. The purchase price has been paid in full with His blood shed in our stead. So He's purchased. We're not our own, but purchased with a price. He paid it. And then He pays, purchases, pays in full for the price, and He offers us this gift of eternal life. That's the A. Here's the B. Very simply and centrally, might I add, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And then the C, which comes as a result, an outward expression of believing in your heart, you're going to confess with your mouth and call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And then lastly, Romans 10:13, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very simple. It's childlike simple. Well, I want to end with today's But God testimony, which comes from Sharon Coleman, who writes, Dear JD, you are a man after my own heart. It is so refreshing to hear you say, we are at the end. I have been feeling the same way, and my friends are tired of me saying so. Welcome to my world. I feel your pain. <laughs> they don't get it completely. They love the Lord and want to believe it, but they are still talking and living as if we have many years left, planning for retirement, wanting to see the grandkids grow and have a life. I have known for a while this is the end. So much so, I wrote a song and sent it to you called, Jesus is Coming Back. I sent it to you before I heard this message, Follow the Money, which was last week's update. I felt an urgency to write it and record it by the first week of September, even though I had many distractions this year. I live with my mom, 94, in Michigan, 
And in February, she got the so-called COVID. So did I. And I've never been so sick for so long, six weeks. She passed from it, but I recovered. I was too sick to even attend her funeral. In April, I started moving my stuff to a farmhouse owned by a friend in the country on five acres with beautiful trees. What a job. My family didn't help me. My 16-year-old angel friend, Tommy, who sang my song, Help Me Move, my brother and I had to clear out 55 years worth of living from mom's house. I held an estate sale. What a job. <laughs> During the house cleaning and dumpster filling of stuff, my brother's son angrily accused me of killing my mom because she was unvaxxed due to my influence. He told me to never contact him again. My brother's family is injected. Then my sister, who is not injected, got up on May 2nd to find her husband missing. Police and dozens of people helped her look in the canyons for him in San Diego, where they live. They found his truck, but no husband. He was Jewish. My sister isn't. Two months later, one of her friend's son found him dead in a canyon. He had committed suicide. Uh, I want to come back to that in just a moment. My sister is devastated, to say the least. First mom, then her husband of 35 years. But despite all that, I have a smile on my face because God is blessing me with the knowledge and understanding that Jesus is coming back soon. Sometimes I just stop and giggle thinking, <laughs> it won't be long until I meet Jesus, and all this chaos will be history, and I will meet my mom and dad again in heaven, Maranatha. Here's another copy of the link to my song, Jesus is Coming Back. Please feel free to sing it in church. I won't do that to you. I believe Jesus gave it to me for such a time as this to tell everyone it won't be long. Blessings on you and yours, your sister in Christ, Sharon Coleman. Jesus is coming back. Capone, come on up. Why don't you stand? I want to, I want to mention real, real quick, and maybe it, it needs to not be real quick, but I'll try to be as brief as possible. What is missed in all of this is the number of people that are taking their lives because of all of this. Let me say the same thing in a different way. I just quoted a, a source that uh, states factually how literally you have hundreds of thousands of people that are dying because of this thing. But do you know what's not included in statistics like that? Suicides. And sadly, it's suicides in young people who have no hope. They are so hopeless, and they need Jesus. If you're watching this online, and this is something you've thought of, I just want to implore you, and maybe you're, you're here in this church today, I don't want to make any assumptions. But if Satan has planted the suicide seed in your mind, I want to encourage you and say to you, on the authority of God's Word and God's love, that is not the answer. Jesus is. Jesus is the answer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way to the Father except through Him. You come to Jesus 
And today is the day of salvation. And there's nothing standing in the way of you coming to Jesus and being saved. Today is the day of salvation. It's not complicated. You saw how simple it is. Believe in your heart and call upon Him. He'll in no way cast out anyone or reject anyone who calls on Him. You call upon the Lord, believe in the Lord, put your trust in the Lord, and you will be saved right here and right now. Please, I implore you, I beg you, do not delay the most important decision of your life for eternal life. Father in heaven, I I thank you so much that you're coming back to take us out of this evil world. Lord, please, I pray for anyone who has never put their trust in you, that today they would surrender their lives to you, call upon you, believe in you, and be saved. Please, Lord. And for anyone who has been thinking about contemplating the taking of their own life, please, Lord, I, I beg of you, God, please reveal yourself to them, your love for them in such a powerful way. And save them, Lord, save them. You came to save to seek and save the lost. Please, Lord. And thank you, Lord. And lastly, Maranatha, <laughs> come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.